All right. Well, it's good to see you all today. Like I mentioned before, uh, had a little brush with, with somebody with COVID here, so I'm being abundantly cautious today and go ahead and wear this, uh, wear this for today. Uh, trust me, I hate this even more than you might. So, but uh, I guess there's a, a new variant that uh, just because you've had it before and been vaccinated, doesn't make you completely safe. So, uh, so we'll just keep rolling along here week by week doing what we need to do. And, uh, but I'm glad everybody's here and uh, let's, let's get going here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that your spirit will be with us today and speak to us uh, through your word, because this is an important message for those of us living in community as your people. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I spoke last Sabbath uh, from the first chapter of the book of Philippians, and I'm going to be in Philippians again today, but at least in the early going, we're also going to use a lot of other texts. So uh, a couple options here. I think we're going to have most of them on the screen, thanks to some good work by Brigida to get that together. And uh, also, if you want to write them down, because they're not all going to be in the same spot, we're going to jump around a little bit. You might want to be ready to do that in case you want access to, to these different texts. So, but we're going to start in Philippians chapter 2 today. And I'm going to be reading out of the, the same translation that's in the Bible in front of you. So if you want to take one of those, uh, you'll have the same thing I do. So Philippians chapter 2, the letter of Paul to the people of the city of Philippi, which was a Roman colony in the region of Macedonia, which is kind of the modern Greece, the northern part, the coast of modern Greece. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. All right, there's a lot said there, and we need to break this down. We need to walk ourselves through this. But let me just preface it with, this, with this, this context, and that is this. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, is describing what your Christian experience is supposed to be like. You are supposed to find encouragement in Christ. You are supposed to find comfort in love. You are supposed to have participation with the Spirit... And you are supposed to experience affection and sympathy. So I want to break these down, each one of these, as we go forward here. So first for today, the message of Jesus is supposed to encourage you. That's why it's called good news. The message of Jesus is supposed to encourage you. So we'll start with this very simple question. Does it? Does the message of Jesus bring tangible encouragement to your life? If it doesn't, you might not have right, rightly comprehended what the message says. Now, 
I'm not saying that the message of Jesus is telling us, be encouraged because you're okay the way you are. That's not what it's telling us. In fact, a reason I think that sometimes believers get discouraged is because of a certain permutation or a shortcut approach to the gospel that says to us, we are all okay the way we are. I know for sure I'm not okay the way I am. I've had plenty of reminders lately that I'm not okay the way I am. Are you better than me? You might be better than me, but, but that doesn't make you okay. Now, now, it sounds like I'm going the wrong way here, right? Because I'm talking about encouragement. But here's the thing. You aren't okay, and you know it. You know sometimes you're selfish, right? I know I am. You know sometimes that your thoughts are dark or even perverse, right? You know sometimes that you harbor anger and feel hatred in your heart. Even if I don't know it about you, you know it. You know sometimes you're deceitful. And you even know that sometimes you literally sin. And you know this is true. Or at least you should know this is true. And some of you know how hard you have tried to stop being these things in order to be okay so that God will accept you. But the effort always fails, doesn't it? I'm reminded of the lyrics of the song by All Sons and Daughters. It goes like this. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. Now this all may sound a little bit on its head, but the first thing I need you to hear today is that if you are ever going to find any encouragement in Christ, you need to first know that you need Him. If Christ is ever going to be any use in your life, you need to know you need Him. If you think you're fine, the last thing in the world you need is Jesus. You can only need Him if you're able to admit you're not okay without Him. He meets us where we are, not because we're okay where we are, but because it's the only place He can meet us. He doesn't come to us because we're okay. He comes to us because we're in need. And He meets us where we are because it's the only place He can. We cannot rise up to Him. He must come down to us. That's what grace is. I'm not okay, but it is okay because Jesus died for the ones who aren't okay. That's how it works. Do you remember the, the story Jesus told about the two 
individuals who owed money to a creditor, one owed a little bit, one owed a lot. And Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to forgive it all. And then he asked the question, which one will love the creditor more? And the answer was simple, the one who was forgiven more. So if you want encouragement from Christ, from the knowledge of your relationship with Jesus, then it's very important that you understand this is not a collegial one-on-one relationship where I'm as good as he is. No, this is grace. This is forgiveness of debt I could never pay. This is acknowledgement of the fact that sometimes I am deceitful. Sometimes I do have dark thoughts. Sometimes what's going on in my life does not glorify God, yet he still reaches for me to bring me out. The point of this is not that some of us are far more guilty than others, but rather that we will find encouragement in grace in direct proportion to our awareness, our awareness of our not okay condition. If you feel like you're okay, the last thing you need is Jesus. But if you can be honest with what goes on in your heart and in your mind sometimes, you know you need Jesus. Back to the lyrics of the song. I am a sinner. If it's not one thing, it's another. Caught up in words, tangled in lies. But you are a savior, and you take brokenness aside and make it beautiful. Here's the promise, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Jesus, uh, Paul, Paul said, God said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He reaches for us. This is why it's encouraging. Even when we've been failing, he reaches for us. And he says, all right, try again. Let's go again. You're not out of the kingdom. You're not out of the family. Let's go again. Give it another go. All right, Lord, for you I can do it. This is why the gospel is encouraging. And the more you are able to admit your weakness, the more grace and power you will receive as you battle against your weakness. This is an important point to understand because understanding this at a heart level is the only way you're ever going to have a chance to achieve what this passage is going to challenge us to achieve. So let's go back. Philippians 2 verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, let's look at that phrase, comfort from love, do you know that you are loved by God? Do you remember this one? Maybe you've heard it before. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God give his only begotten son? Because he loves me, because he loves you, because he loves us. Not because we're okay. We already established we're not. If we were okay, it was pretty foolish of God 
to send his son to die for people that were okay. That was kind of a waste, right? For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what work do we need to do in order to receive this salvation? John 6, verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. God loves you. He sent Jesus to save you, not because you're okay, but because you're not. And that love flows to you through salvation. And the only thing you need to do to receive it is to believe in the one God sent. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, even though you're not okay, it's okay. Because God came to save people who are not okay. Any comfort from his love, God sent his son to save you because he loves you. Any participation in the spirit. What about this one? Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So when you heard, okay, I'm not okay, but it is okay because God came to save people who are not okay because he loves us. When you heard that good news and believed, what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you have heard the gospel, if you have believed in the one that God sent, if you've received the encouragement and you know the love, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the promise in your life of the fulfillment that is still to come. Now what happens when we have participation with the Spirit? Well. The fruit of the Spirit appears in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control appears in our life. And we're like, wow, how did I have that kind of patience? That's not from me. The gifts of the Spirit appear in your life. God enables you to do things that build up the kingdom of God. The unity of the Spirit takes place within a community of believers. When the Holy Spirit is in our lives, we are all drawn together into a unity. And the Holy Spirit plays a very personal role in our lives. He's called helper. He's called comforter. He leads us into knowledge and understanding. I never cease to be amazed when I compare the relative ignorance of people of great learning and intelligence when it comes to things of God compared to the simplest saint who has little training other than what they got from the Bible and the Holy Spirit. How often is that simple saint so much more effectively equipped for living 
than the one with all this great knowledge who is miserable every day of their life. The Holy Spirit brings understanding. So let's go back to Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. You remember it said, it is the, the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. And now the author of Hebrews is saying, hold fast to that confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I want you to catch this point here. We're not invited to the throne of grace because we're okay. We're invited to the throne of grace because we need grace. And we come to the throne of grace through Jesus Christ in whom we have believed. So we come in our weakness. We come in our deficiency to the throne of God. And there, instead of finding condemnation, you know what we find? We find affection. We find sympathy. We find grace. And we find forgiveness. And I find that encouraging. You know how sometimes the rest of us just don't understand how hard it is for you? And we get impatient with you? Anybody have people get impatient with them? They just don't get it. You don't see how hard it is for me to be on time. You don't see how hard it is for me to get up in the morning. You don't see how hard it is for me to do math. I, I did that once to Arielle. She was doing math, and I was impatient because, I mean, math, right? How hard can it be? But that's an engineer talking, so that's not really fair. But we were going through, and, and it was not one of my great parenting moments, I will confess it. We were going through a problem... And, and she was messing up the simple stuff. Nothing more frustrating. She was doing the hard stuff, but then she couldn't multiply six and seven. And so in a moment of parental genius, I said, you're going to fail. To which Alicia came in from the other room and scolded me appropriately. I was impatient. I didn't sympathize. You know what? Jesus isn't like that. Jesus understands your weakness. Verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus gets it. He understands even better than you do and approaches you with sympathy and affection even when calling you to repentance. Do you remember the story? of the woman who was, who was set up and caught in an adulterous situation and then dragged in front of Jesus and they were going to stone her right there. 
And Jesus knelt down and wrote in the sand and said, let the one who was without sin cast the first stone. Do you remember how that, that encounter ends? John 8, verse 11. Jesus says, who is left to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. See, this is, these are the words of, of, of an affectionate and compassionate Savior who understands our weakness. So let's go back to Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So what he's saying here is, if being a Christian believer has resulted in you experiencing encouragement or comfort from love or participation in the Holy Spirit or affection and sympathy, if any of that has happened, now verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being, full, being in full accord and of one mind. What is he saying here? He says, complete my, my joy by being of the same mind. That's talking about attitude. As a believer, you need to have the same attitude that God has taken with you. The same love that God has for you, we need to show each other. In full accord and of one mind with each other. That means... That doesn't mean that we think exactly the same way, but it means that we desire to work as a harmonious community. What does Paul mean? He's saying, if you have experienced God's encouragement through grace, encourage others by showing grace. Have you been encouraged by God's grace? If you have, then think about how you can be an encouragement to other people through grace. He's saying if you have found comfort in God's love, then comfort others with love. There's actually, there's actually another place where Paul says this absolutely just straight out. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How many times can you use comfort in one sentence? But what he's saying here is, is if you've received comfort from God, then take of that and be a comfort to others. If all you can do is afflict others, you're not living according to the Spirit. If you have known the participation of the Holy Spirit in your life, then, then Paul is saying stop resisting the Spirit. Start working in harmony with the Spirit. If you have known affection and sympathy of God, then show affection and sympathy to others. In truth, what Paul is saying here is a pretty straightforward message. Everything that good that has come to you through the gospel share with others. That's what he's telling us. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So how would we achieve this? Well, we get into that. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. We've all known people who do this, right? We've all known people who live like that. There, there are actually uh, people that are a part of this community who live like that, and, and we love them. We have people here who are like this. Uh, one that comes to my mind right now, Diane Johnson, who does all this work up here to make the platform beautiful to bless you. She doesn't do it to get ahead. She doesn't do it for acclaim. She's not even here today, so I can get away with talking about her. And she works on the sound and, and trying to get all of these pieces together to set an example, to show the way, to show that spirit, that giving heart. Juanis, uh, who works to keep this place clean all week, but then volunteers to make sure we've got, we've got snacks and food to bless us. Vanessa is another one of those people who's always willing to participate. Not because we're promoting her to some formal position, but because she loves you and considers this community important. I think Matthew West fits into this category. He does all kinds of stuff. He lends his skill. He lends his knowledge. He lends his ability and never looks for praise. He's got that heart. Brigida, you have that heart. You give yourself for this community. I could go on and on with the list. Don't be hurt if I didn't say your name, because at least at this point you're not embarrassed like the ones whose names I called who are thinking of all the times they didn't live up to this. But we can all be Philippians 2, verse 3 type believers. How do we do it? Verse 4 tells us, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't miss the point here. There are plenty of people who are pretty sure they know what is in the best interest of others, and spend a great deal of time enforcing that on them. That's not what we're going for. It's not your job to figure out what's the best interest of someone else and force it on them. What he's talking about here is that we would listen. Let others tell you what their interest is before you begin assuming what's good for them. To do this, you actually have to listen to them and if you're one of those people who often feels like nothing ever goes the way I want, you're going to have to actually communicate. Okay? Stop assuming everybody knows what you think. Share it kindly, but share it. See, communication. How are we going to act in each other's best interest if we're not communicating? If we can't hear each other? So, so let's put all of this first part together. So here's how it reads. 
Philippians 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you've experienced any of this as a believer, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I can tell you, having been a pastor, how long now? 26 years, I guess. Nothing makes a church leader happier than to see the community at peace with one another and working together in love. It's a crazy high standard, but one for which we have a perfect example, an example of one who has done far more than this passage ever asks of us. Philippians 2, verse 5, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Now, we all know the incarnation story. We know how, how God was, was born as a baby. Baby Jesus grew up. He became human. He became flesh. He dwelt among us. But we often think of that story from our perspective. And what is our perspective? Well, we perceive ourselves as the highest wrong species on earth. And so, okay, no big deal. God became the highest wrong species on earth. Okay, great. But every now and then we need to be reminded what God stepped away from, what Jesus stepped away from to become human. And I was reminded this week of something like that. I have a picture. Did we get that picture, Brigida? Here's where I want to do this picture. You see that picture there? This was a picture that was published this week from the James Webb Telescope. It's the new... The new telescope, that's, uh, I guess it's about a million miles out in space, and they're aiming it around at different things, and, and it's a next-level revelation of the heavens. And this particular picture, if you can see it well enough, or if, if you've seen it before, most of those dots of light you see there are not dots of light, they're galaxies containing a billion stars. Now, do you know how big that field area was that the telescope was focused on that revealed all of those galaxies? They said it was roughly the equivalent of a grain of sand held at arm's length. So in the area of space, roughly the size of a grain of sand held at arm's length, there's that many galaxies that you can see. And there's another grain of sand next to it, and another one, and another one, and another one, and one above it, and one above it, and one above it. Okay, Jesus was in charge of all of this and knew all of this. And he gave that up to become one of us. Now, he's been glorified. He's back to this greatness, and he was within that time still the one but he traded that surpassing reality to become flesh and blood like us. 
that he might save us. Does that put it a little more in perspective? He humbled himself. Philippians 2, verse 5, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In order to save us, he had to come down to us because we could not rise up to him. And his willingness to do this, this is the attitude he is calling us to have in ourselves. Can we really have that kind of an attitude? It is, of course, impossible to always get it right, but maybe we could get it right a little more than we do. Maybe the true standard by which we need to measure ourselves isn't that we believe the right theologies or never eat the wrong things, not that those things are not good, but rather those things are not first. Perhaps the true standard needs to be, do we have the mind of Christ Jesus? The challenge this passage lays before us is not easy, but I think it's worth trying to achieve for us as individuals and for us as a community. We have our worship leaders come back. So we're going to sing a couple songs. One of the songs about humbling ourselves. Like Jesus, he humbled himself and came down. But in order for us to live like this, what would it take? Well, I want to suggest to you Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 touches on this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us so next uh, next sabbath pastor jay is going to be up at ure some of the others may be helping him and peter you're going to be there as as support for the ure what's it called the URA 100. The URA 100 is not a sprint. You're not done in the first 30 seconds. The Christian life is more URA 100 than it is a 100 meter dash. You're not done. It's a long run. We pace ourselves. We keep going. Some days are hard. Some days are hot. Some days are cold. But throughout it all, we have the encouragement in Christ Jesus. We have the love of God. 
We have the participation of the Holy Spirit. We have sympathy and compassion. We have the love of our brothers and sisters. We have the community of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what we got to do to run this this Ure 100 called the Christian life. We live with our eyes on Jesus and with love in our hearts for each other. This is the team. This is the group that we are privileged to run with. I want you to do something here because part of this message is all about consider others it, well, it says better than yourself, but that's not, I, I don't want to go down that road where we're like, I'm not as good as they are, and that breeds a whole other round of hostility. No, that's, that's not what it means. It means actually highly regarding other people. And I want you to do something. I want you to look around you right now. Look at the people around you. Look at the people behind you. Look at the people on the other side of the room. You've got to turn your head to do this. You've got to turn your head and look around. Look at the people in this room. They've been sitting here hearing the same thing you have. They've been going out there living in the same world you're living in. There are different details to their situation, but the context is the same. We share in this space. You know what would make this journey, this run, more fun for all of us? is if we really did have love in our hearts for each other. So, so here's what I want you to do. And first, we're just going to do it in your mind. Look around at these people with this thought in your mind. You ready? Here's your thought. I love these people. All right, look around. Look around and think that. And don't think, are you kidding me? No. Think, I love these people. All right? We're talking about each other in this place. We're all followers of Jesus. We all have the Holy Spirit in our lives. We all read out of the same word. So now I want you to say it out loud. Now you've got to look around first or else it doesn't count because you might have blinders on. So look around and then we're going to say it together. Are you ready? I love these people. I was not convinced. Let's try it again. I love these people. All right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your heart open to the people around you. Be humble. Let the mind of Christ be you. 